0: This morning we're going to continue in our series looking at the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I hope um, maybe you're recognizing uh, some themes, some commonalities that we're seeing in all of these statements so far. Um, We see that so far... The unbelieving Pharisees have been a part of Jesus' audience every time so far. When Jesus makes these statements, he makes them in the presence of the Pharisees who don't believe that he is who he says he is. And all of these statements have been met with misunderstanding. John tells us every time Jesus makes these statements so far that it's obvious that the people he's talking to doesn't get it. They they don't understand. Um, they, They don't understand what he's talking about. And their misunderstanding, every time so far, leads to anger. When when he he states his divinity, he claims his, his rightful title as the I am, the Pharisees don't understand how he could say that. It makes them angry to the point where they want to kill him. And that seems to be the repeated pattern that we see every time Jesus makes one of these statements. And so far, Jesus has said that I am... The I am, that I'm the God of your fathers, that before Abraham was, I am. And in saying that, that, that statement, that title encompasses the fact that he is the fullness of every need. He is the full measure, the full uh, provision for every need, every who am I that's in me. There's an I am in Jesus, and and we and that he he is the fullness of all things and the fullness of all preparation. He says to he says to the the Jews, I am the God of your fathers, like the God that you celebrate, the God that all of these things that you do, that you remember the things God has done. I am He, the Father and I are one, and then Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the giver of all spiritual life and nourishment. You can't, there's no spiritual life without me. I'm the sustenance. I'm the source of of life. And just like if you go without eating food for so many days, you'll eventually die. The only spiritual life is sustained and given by Jesus as the bread of life. And then he said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the giver of direction. When we are in spiritual darkness, pitch black, can't see anything, He illuminates our minds and our hearts, and He gives us direction so that we can see where we are, we can see where we need to go, and He illuminates truth and separates truth from lie. He he shows us the reality of what is real and what is true and exposes the lies that are hidden in the darkness. So this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 10. And you will see some of the same themes that I've just talked about continue in this chapter. Now, again, this is Jesus makes this next I Am statement in the context of a conversation with the Pharisees, this discourse of question and answer between he and them. And I want to set us up, before we get into chapter 10, I want to tell you about what chapter 9 is about because it flows into chapter 10. If you go back to the beginning of John chapter 9, you see the story of Jesus healing the man that was born blind. And the way that story goes, to kind of sum it up, Jesus and the disciples encounter this man, and the disciples' first questions to Jesus is, who sinned, Jesus? Because their understanding was that that somebody must have done something wrong, somebody was receiving this divine punishment for sins that they had committed, either them or their parents before them or maybe even another generation before them. And they say, basically, Jesus, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? And Jesus says, that's not how it works. He says, this man is blind so that the kingdom can be seen, so that my, my father can be glorified, so I can be glorified. He's going he, to say, I'm going to use this man's life to reveal something about the kingdom, to show truth. And so you know the story, Jesus spits in the dirt, one of my favorite miracle stories. He spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he smears it on the eyes of the man and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash his face off, wash his eyes, and when he does, he's completely healed for the first time he can see. And word gets out because everybody knows this man is the guy who was born blind. And now all of a sudden he's running around and he's joyful and he, he, he can see and he's describing what he can see and it's causing the scene. So immediately whenever Jesus does something good, the Pharisees show up to try to to try to kill it, to try to squash it. So they, they almost arrest this guy. They pull him aside and they start interrogating him, asking him questions about about this man that healed you. Tell us who he is. What did he say? How did he do it? And they're, and they're drilling him with questions. And I love his answer in chapter 9. At this point, he doesn't even really have a full, complete understanding and faith in, in Jesus. He just knows that Jesus has made him see. And so when they ask him all these questions about Jesus, it's a beautiful model for how we can tell people about Jesus. Because they, they ask him all these questions, and he says, look, I don't know... All of that stuff you're asking me, all I know is that before Jesus showed up, I couldn't see anything, and now I can see everything. I, can, I was blind, and now I can see. And, and that's, that's such a beautiful model for us. You say, I don't know how to share Jesus with people. Yeah, you do. Just tell them that you can see. Tell them them the difference between living in, in the light of being able to see versus living in the darkness where you were blind and you didn't understand. You didn't see or know anything about God and couldn't comprehend it. But now you can. And so he answers that way and they become angry. Of course, I feel like that's all the Pharisees do sometimes in the Gospels. They're just always getting mad. And they get angry at him, and they throw him out, and he encounters Jesus again after that. And at that moment, he, he encounters Jesus and comes to full faith, full understanding, and begins and becomes a follower of Jesus. And Jesus uses this man in chapter 9 as an illustration to to show what he's talking about, what we've talked about already, him being the light of the world, that the Pharisees who can see with their physical eyes are walking around in spiritual darkness. They're completely blind to the spiritual nature of, of what is real when Jesus, now this man who is physically blind, now he has the sight that the Pharisees don't have. Now he can see. And he, and he uses this man's story to, to teach about that. So that flows right into John chapter 10. And so what we're going to read in John 10 is a continuation of this dialogue, this conversation that's going on in the midst of this great healing event that Jesus has done. And he's having this conversation with uh, the Pharisees. Now, there are actually two "I am" statements in this in the same context, and so we're only going to really we're only going to really hit on one of them, and we're going to save the other one for next week. Um, but the context of what we're going to talk about this morning is going to build context for both what Jesus says today, and then what we're going to read. We're going to continue the chapter next week, almost like a part one and part two of the same story. And But we're going to set the context this morning, and it's going to help us understand both of those. And so um, look with me in John chapter 10. After this, this miracle and all of this drama that's happened between Jesus and the, and the blind man and the Pharisees, even the, even the blind man's parents, they drag into the conversation and, and quiz them and ask them questions. And so now John 10, he's speaking to the Pharisees again. And this is what he says in verse 1. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his Sheep by name and leads them out. And when he was brought, when he has brought all his own outside, talking about outside the pen, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech. But look again, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So here it is again. Jesus is trying to paint a picture for them of the reality of their spiritual condition, what they're doing versus what he has come to do, and they don't get it at all. They don't understand anything he's talking about. So we're, we're, we are familiar with parables, right? We read, we, we know many times Jesus used parables to teach um, it, it's an it's a earthly story that teaches a heavenly principle, a, an eternal principle. And, but this we see here is a little bit different um, because in verse 6, it's translated figure of speech. There's a particular Greek word for parable that's applied to those stories that Jesus told elsewhere in the New Testament. But that Greek word isn't used in verse 6. There's actually a different word that's used And that word can be translated here in the CSB as figure of speech. This is not so much a parable, but this is Jesus using allegory. And if you know what that means, it's just painting a word picture. He's painting a word picture of something that they're familiar with and trying to associate it and help them understand something that they're not familiar with. It's a word picture where one thing represents something else. And so shepherding is the picture that he uses at the beginning of chapter 10. And this is something for a first century Palestinian person. This would have been a, a very common thing. They, they knew what shepherding was about. They were familiar with it. Many of them did that. And so what Jesus is describing here in this story is, is what is called a sheep fold. And a sheep fold is basically a pen. It's a pen made for sheep. And it's built by the shepherd, to contain the sheep, to secure the sheep, to protect them from predators, from thieves. And as I studied and tried to look into some cultural things in history, I found there are a couple of different examples of the kinds of sheep folds that they would have known about as Jesus is saying this. One was a community fold that might be in the midst of or just outside of a town or a community. So it would be a larger pen where multiple shepherds would house for the night multiple flocks of sheep. So each sheep, each shepherd had his own sheep. But in this town, they may have a large fold and two, three, four multiple shepherds may come at the end of the day and bring their sheep into that fold. And then they would hire what was called a porter or what's referred to here as a gatekeeper, somebody that the, the shepherds would pay and say, for the night, we're, we're putting our sheep here. It's your job to guard the, guard the entrance, guard the door, and, and make sure nobody gets in. And so they, they would pay the porter, and he would, he would take care of the sheep for the night. The next morning, the shepherds would come back, The porter would open up the gate, let them in, and then each shepherd would call their sheep by name and each sheep would know who their shepherd was and they would follow their shepherds out out into the countryside. So that was like a community fold. But also shepherds might build their own fold. They may go out, if they were out in the countryside, they may build their own fold or pen for their own sheep that was just, just for them. Uh, So I want to show you a picture of what a sheepfold in the first century might have looked like. This is a picture um, that I found um, in the magic of Google um, that helps us see a little bit of what what a sheepfold might have looked like. And you see um, it's got walls. They're usually made of stacked stone and rock. And some places I read said that um, these pins, those walls could be as high as eight feet tall depending on the threat of, of animals, uh, of different uh, wildlife that might be around that would be a threat to the sheep. The goal is to keep them safe, keep them secure, and protect them. Um, so um, here's another picture. There's a second picture. That one seems kind of small. This one looks a little larger. The wall isn't, doesn't look quite as high as the first one, but um, th- this is, again, this was a sheepfold. This is uh, where the shepherds would bring their sheep at the end of the day, Uh, to stay overnight. So when Jesus is saying these things in these first verses of John 10, this is what he's talking about. And when the people are hearing him, this is what they're picturing. Okay, so now that we have a picture and an understanding of, of what they're thinking and what Jesus is talking about, We can understand a little bit better what Jesus is trying to teach us. So in verses 1 through 3, he talks about the different type of people that would be associated with a a sheepfold like this. Number one is the shepherd, right? The one who owns or or takes care of the sheep. He talks about the gatekeeper. That would be the porter, like I told you about. That if it was a, a community fold where more than one flock was there... Um, this was the guy who, who would stand watch and secure the entrance to the fold overnight for the shepherds. But then he talks about thieves and robbers, too. And this was a thing in first century. People would try to steal sheep, would try to take them. And, but there are two different words. Sometimes we think thieves and robbers are the same thing, but they're not, actually. They're different words to describe Um, that the Bible uses for thieves and robbers. Thieves are the guys who use stealth. Thieves are the ones that use trickery. Maybe you would think of like a modern day pickpocket or a cat burglar or somebody who who comes in, sneaks, uh, uses trickery, sleight of hand, that kind of thing to try to steal and take things. when, When Jesus talks about thieves, that's who he's talking about. But robbers are the ones who just come in and take what they want by force. Robbers implies violence, like the the story of the Good Samaritan. When robbers came on the Good Samaritan, they beat him almost to the point of death. Like those are robbers. So Jesus is talking about thieves and robbers, and both of them were prevalent, and both would come and try to take your sheep for the purpose of exploiting them. It didn't matter whether they did it by force or they did it by stealth. The, the end goal was exploitation. We're going to come in and take your sheep. We're going to take the sheep. We're going to use them. We're going to, we're going to use their wool. We're going to take them and get meat off of them and, and slaughter them, basically, and take, take whatever we want from them for their own benefit. So the shepherd, Jesus says, anybody who tries to come into the fold... Any other way than through the gate is not the shepherd. Anybody who tries to come into the fold, get to the sheep by climbing over the wall, by coming in, finding some other way, either by force or trickery to get into the fold, those are thieves and robbers. And he says the only one who can come through the gate is the shepherd. Anybody who comes to the sheep through the gate is the shepherd and he says that he calls when the shepherd comes he comes to the sheep through the gate and he calls them by name because shepherds name their sheep and that shouldn't sound weird to us you have pets at your house don't you I don't come home at the end of the day and go oh hey dog hey dog or hey cat or hey goldfish like you you name them something and and you and you have an affectionate relationship with that pet more than likely Um, You you know them. They know you. And what Jesus is talking about, that the the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. When I come into our house, if we've been gone, we've got our little dog Murphy. And if I come into the house and we say, hey, Murphy, like he comes running. He's usually lounging on top of the couch, looking out the front window. But if he hears the door open, he's going to come. He's going to start coming in. We open the door and say, hey, Murphy, he hears us. And he knows. He knows his name. He knows the sound of our voices. He knows if it's somebody else or if it's us. And when he hears us, he comes running. So this is is what happens. The shepherd builds such a, he spends so much time with the sheep. He builds a relationship with them, really, to the point where they know his voice. And he names them to the point where shepherds could call a sheep by their name, given to them by the shepherd, and they would hear his voice and they would answer. And, we, and we've said before, sheep are dumb for the most part. They're kind of dumb. They just wander around. They get into trouble. They fall into holes. They, they, they get snared in things. In like, that level, they are kind of dumb. But, but they, they know the voice of their shepherd. And so the shepherd or the porter would not allow anyone or anything to cross through that gate to get to the sheep. And so, what Jesus is saying is, he's contrasting who he is and what he's come to do with who the Pharisees are. And what he's doing is saying, you guys are the thieves. You guys are the robbers. You are the ones who are trying to come in and exploit God's people. You're trying to come in and take take ownership. You've set yourself up in a place that you weren't intended to be. God is the shepherd of these people, not you. You are are coming in. You're trying to come into the fold, over the walls, as illegitimate leaders of God's people with no love and no concern for the people. You are looking out for yourself. You're looking to exploit God's people for your own needs and wants. He's calling the Pharisees, predators of God's people. So then in verses 4 through 6, if we look at that again, he describes in contrast to to the thieves and the robbers, the Pharisees who would come in and exploit the people for their own gain, Jesus describes the care of the true shepherd, which he is and which he will call himself later, and we'll talk about that specifically next week. But look at what he says in verses 4 through 6. It says, when he, meaning the shepherd, has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. Well, that all his own implies ownership, authority, right? At the end of the day, um, or when night is over and the next morning would come, the shepherd would come to the fold, he would come through the gate, and he would call out his sheep. And so as he called them by name, they would come out and follow him and he would go ahead of them out into the countryside and lead them to wherever food, water, and, and any, all their provisions were. So when he says, when he has brought all his own outside, he's saying the shepherd owns the sheep. The sheep belong to the shepherd. So Jesus is saying there's a legitimate... Ownership that God has over his people. They are God's people. He is saying, I am the I am. Like, they are my people. They are not yours. So when he has brought all his own outside, they go, he goes ahead of them. A lot of animals, when you're trying to move animals from one place to another, you have to drive them. Right? You have to get behind them, you have to get on the sides of them and kind of push them and tell them which way to go. And you get on this side and you're pushing them this way and pushing them this way, and you're behind them and you're driving them forward. But that's not how a shepherd controls his sheep. Sheep follow the shepherd. So he goes ahead of them. And it's just a it's just a beautiful picture of how the Lord leads us. The reason the shepherd goes ahead of the sheep is because he's looking for pasture. He goes ahead of them in protection, in safety. He goes ahead of them looking for, looking for pasture. He's going ahead of them looking for water. He's scouting ahead to make sure that there are not any thieves or robbers that are gonna try to attack them. He's going ahead of them to make sure there's not any wild animals. Any predators hiding out? Because for the shepherd, nothing is going to get to his sheep without going through him. So he goes ahead of them. And that's the picture that, see, the Pharisees were all about trying to control the people, driving them, like pushing them this way and this way. And Jesus is like, no, the shepherd leads the sheep and the sheep know his voice and the sheep follow the shepherd. And he says, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. This talks about, again, the intimacy of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. It was so strong that if a a robber or, say, a thief who would use trickery decided he wanted to try to trick some of the sheep of coming out of the fold to him... Maybe he camps out and he listens for a few days and he listens to the way the shepherd talks to the sheep and he maybe picks up on some of their names and he hears those and he hears what commands the shepherd uses when he goes every morning and draws the sheep out and maybe the thief decides, I'm going to go and say the same thing. That doesn't work. A thief or a stranger can come and speak over a group of sheep and say the same words And use the same names, but the sheep are not going to follow him because they don't know his voice. It's not even all about what he says that controls the sheep. It's about the sound, the the, the tone, the nature of the voice of the shepherd. They're so familiar with it and they know they can trust it. They follow the shepherd, but any other voice will cause them to either stay still and not move or they'll run. They'll scatter in fear because they know it's not the voice of the shepherd. So Jesus is is contrasting again the care of God for his people versus the abuse and the exploitation of God's people by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are all about... Control. And we'll see what Jesus says he is about here in just a second. I'm, I'm trying not to rush ahead of myself here. It's really hard because I'm excited. This is good stuff. Um, in, in the context of this word picture, so now now Jesus has painted this picture. This is kind of what he's talking about. So it's in this context that he makes the first of two I am statements. Look at... Chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. He's talking about the false teachers. Just like the Pharisees were then There had been false teachers throughout the history of Israel that tried to speak on behalf of God. And that's who Jesus is talking about. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Verse 9, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, this picture of a sheepfold may be something that we're, again, we're admitting we don't live in first century Palestine. We don't really know a whole lot about sheep. Does anybody have any, like, shepherding experience? Anybody ever done that? Maybe even in that region? Of course not. None of y'all. Y'all don't know nothing about sheep, all right? I don't know anything about sheep. But we know something about doors, Right? Because we have doors. We use doors, we put up doors, we have doors. Doors are everywhere. Um, Earlier this year in 2022, there was actually a huge worldwide online debate about the question. Some of y'all know what I'm about to say. There was a question that was brought up about doors versus wheels. How many, what is there more of that exists in the world? If you were to go across the world and count up all the doors, that 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 exist in anything i mean a door on anything anything that's a door count up all the doors count up all the wheels which one is there more of in the world do you think there's more wheels or think there's more doors Okay, everybody's got an opinion, right? And, and if you go home and Google that, just Google wheels or doors, you will see all this stuff pop up. And there are articles and, and blogs that have been written like for days and days about how to answer that question. Are there more wheels in the world or are there more doors? Like we, there are doors everywhere. We know a lot about doors. So let's just think about them, doors in terms of your house, or like this house, we've got doors on this house. Um, you put doors on your house for several purposes. One, you want to allow access into your house. It'd be pretty crummy if you hired a contractor to build your house and he didn't put any doors in it. Because then you can't live in your house. So you look at it, there's my house. Isn't it pretty? And you're, you're living outside in a tent because you can't get in your house. Like, you got to put doors on your house so you can get in, right? You've also put doors on your house to block something else from getting, to block people from getting in, not just so things can come in, but you put doors on your house to keep people out, keep things out. You don't want deer, like, I feel like deer. Where I live, deer would just walk into my house. If I didn't have doors or animals and cats, like there are these cats everywhere in my neighborhood and I hate cats. They're everywhere. I think they would just like walk into my house if I didn't have doors. Like, and, and there are people who show up. I don't want you in my house, <laughs> right? You, you, know, you, you know you think that. You see people come in and you're like, close the blinds and turn the TV down. <laughs> so they, you know, it's the preacher. <laughs> don't let him know we're here. You have doors. You keep people out with your doors. And then um, it also, doors allow you access in and out of your house. Because you don't want to be a hermit and just stay in your house all the time. You also don't want to live in your yard. So you have, you have to be able to come in and out of your house. And so you come in, you come out. You, you have freedom to come and go. There's one thing that you may or may not have noticed about the sheepfold that I showed you. I want to show you that picture again of a sheepfold. And I want you to look real closely at it. Notice that there is only one single opening in a sheepfold. And where's the door? Jesus, yeah, there's not one. There's no gate. Jesus is talking about the gate. He's talking about the door. He says, "I'm the gate, I'm the door." But we're looking at this going, okay, I get the fold, I get the walls, even the single entrance. I get that, and I can see where we're going with that, but like where's the gate? There's no door. Like either one of those pictures I showed you, there's no there's no door. The shepherd would keep his sheep out on the countryside and he would bring them in for the night. And you notice the entrance to the fold was very small. That is because the shepherd only wanted the opening to be large enough for one sheep to go through at a time. And the reason for that is as the sheep would come in and as he's collecting them into the fold, he would take his rod and he would place his rod over the opening to the fold to block them. And when, when his first sheep would come, he would look at them and he would examine them at the end of the day. He's making sure that there's not, they're not hurt. They're not injured. There's not something that, that he needs to do to care for them. He, 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 he assesses their condition to make sure they're healthy and they're safe and they're, they're well. And then when he, when he sees that they're good, he lifts up that rod And they pass under his rod and they go into the fold. And every sheep comes into the fold one at a time as he checks them, takes care of them, and then brings them into the fold. And then you know what the shepherds would do? After all the sheep are in and he's looked at every one of them, paid attention to each individual one. When night would come, if it wasn't a community, now a community fold probably would have a door and a gate built because you remember the porter. It was several flocks in, in one pen and they would pay the porter to, to watch. But for one out in the countryside like this, that was one shepherd with one flock of sheep, once all the sheep were in the fold, the shepherd would lay down over the opening. And that's where he slept. And that's where he stayed for the night. He laid himself across the opening. So nothing was gonna get in that he didn't know about. And he was not gonna lose any of his sheep because none were gonna leave That he wasn't aware of that he didn't know the shepherd himself would be the door he would make himself the door to the fold so here's the big point what Jesus is saying when Jesus says I am the gate or I am the door Jesus is the single passage to eternal and abundant life. Single passage. Sheep folds don't have multiple entrances. There was always only one. And it was small. It wasn't big. It wasn't big enough for three or four or five sheep to come in at one time. Each sheep came into the fold one at a time, individually, And Jesus says I am the gate look in verse 9 he says it again I am the gate if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture Jesus is saying several things first he's saying that he is the single access to salvation from sin and he'll say it again in John fourteen six. and there'll be another sermon where we'll look at that statement in more detail But you know it. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Because Jesus is the gate. There's no multiple openings to the fold of God. This lie that Satan has perpetuated throughout all of human history... That and and universalism that says, you know, somehow you can find, there's lots of different ways to get into the fold of God. You just have to find the entrance and the gate and the door that you like the best, the one that you're most familiar with. No, there is nothing Jesus ever said to indicate that there are multiple ways into the fold. There is one. And Jesus boldly says, I am that gate. There is no other way to come. But then he also says that he is the door to abundant life. You notice that that it's not about trapping. I said before that the, the Pharisees were all about control. Jesus says that if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Like this isn't a picture of like, oh, we're saved if we're in the fold and then we're not saved if we're out of the fold and we're in and we're out and our salvation is wishy-washy. That's not what he's talking about. It's the same thing. The shepherd would put the sheep in the fold at night to take care of them, to protect them. And then as soon as the sun was up and it was time, he leads them out of the fold to go into the pasture to get what they need. And he says, when you come to me, I've not come to steal your life like the thieves and the robbers do. I've not come to take it away. I've come to give it to you, make your life abundant, full of joy, to, to, to meet your needs, to provide for you, to love you, to lead you. All of those things that a shepherd does. So he says, they will, they will come in and go out. You'll you'll be under my care and protection. There'll be times I'll bring you in and then there'll be times when I lead you out. But no matter where we are, if we're outside the fold or inside the fold, the shepherd is always with the sheep. His presence is always there and he promises the abundant life. He promises freedom. The, the, The Pharisees were all about bondage. They were all about trapping people and controlling people making them do what they wanted them to do and jesus says that's not what i'm about i will give you freedom you will come in and go out of the fold I, i will lead you out into pastures and green pastures i will meet your provisions i'll give you everything that you need but then jesus also is saying that he's the guard and protector from the thieves and I love that we, that we sang those songs this morning. I love the song that Nicole and Emily sang. I'm listening to it all morning. I often have this conversation with Dan. Sometimes I wish we could just come in and I'll just preach the sermon, but y'all know that wouldn't work because I would talk too long and then there wouldn't be any time to sing. But sometimes I wish we could just come in and do the sermon first thing and then sing all the songs after so you could be thinking about God's word while you're singing the songs like I get to because I know what the message is and I sit on the front row and I hear the songs I'm going oh wow that goes with this and that goes with that and that oh man that's so good and I'm singing the songs and I'm like oh oh, I wish everybody knew how the songs like, like so you should always if you get something out of the sermon you should always go back and look up the songs that we sang and listen to them after the sermon I promise they'll mean more to you They'll they'll be different. Um, But he says he's the guard and protector of the sheep. And I want you to notice something that I think maybe we sometimes read over, especially in John's gospel, and we sometimes misquote what Jesus says here. Oftentimes when we're talking about Satan who obviously is our enemy, our adversary, the one who wants to come. And and Satan does want to kill and steal and destroy. But you notice that Jesus in that verse, he doesn't say the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There's an A there. He says a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come to give you life. We sometimes, I think, just assume that that verse, when we read it out of the context of the story, that Jesus, that that verse is about Satan. And even though that is true of Satan, that's the nature of Satan, Jesus is not specifically talking about Satan in verse 10. The term he uses is not a, a specific term about Satan. If he were talking about Satan, he would have used a different word there. But he says, a thief, you know who he's talking about? The Pharisees. He's talking about the religious leaders, the ones who he's already said are the ones who try to come into the fold over the wall. They try to break in and steal. That's who he's talking about. The false teachers who have come before him and the false teachers that were there in his presence then. Um, We are surrounded in our life and our culture by false teachers about Jesus and if and, and if you think or i think that everybody who stands and speaks about Jesus in the name of Jesus are all telling the truth then we are being fooled there are false teachers not just outside the visible church there are false teachers about Jesus inside the church that stand in front of congregations and write books and, and preach on the internet every single week. And scripture would call them false teachers. Jesus would say, these are the thieves who will come to steal and kill and destroy. But he says, I have come so that you may have life. And you know the reason he's already said the reason the sheep don't follow the strangers is because... They don't know their voice. The sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. And you say, well, how are we going to make sure that we don't get duped and become victims of false teachers? Know the voice of the shepherd, it's the Holy Spirit. For you and I, the voice of the Holy Spirit is the voice of the shepherd. And the more in tune we are with what God's word says, that's why we're studying this. It's so important for us to know who Jesus is because we can't know who he is apart from his word. And the more we know who he is and the more we grow closer to him, the more we'll be able to hear his voice and discern what is his voice versus what's the voice of other people. They may be saying the same stuff, just like the thieves that will come in and call us by name and say the same things that the shepherd does. Use the same words. Use the same vocabulary. Say all the same stuff. But they're thieves. They're not the shepherd. And you say, well, how am I going to know the difference if everybody's saying the same thing? The Holy Spirit. You know the voice of the shepherd. So if you know the voice of the shepherd, you'll know any other voice that's not the voice of the shepherd is a thief or a robber. And Jesus said, they have come to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come for abundant life. How comforting is it to know that Jesus is the gate. And there is nothing that comes into my life or your life that doesn't pass through him. Nothing. That's why the shepherd lays down over the opening of the of the fold. He's saying, nothing's going to get to you that doesn't go through me first. And that should be a huge comfort and a huge blessing. And you may say, yeah, that sounds good, Eric, but why does all this bad stuff keep happening? If Jesus is my shepherd and he's all about protecting me and keeping keeping me safe and caring for me and meeting my needs and he's supposed to be guarding and he's my guard and my protector why does all this bad stuff keep happening I don't know I don't know I'm not going to I'm not going to say to you or anybody else that I can tell you exactly why whatever bad circumstance is happening to you why it's happening I I can't tell you that nobody can but I, I, I don't know that but I do know Some things that Jesus says. Jesus says that He works all things out for the good of the ones who follow Him. For the ones who are in the fold, He works all things together for our good. How does He do that? I don't know. But it's true. It's true because it comes by the authority of the shepherd. He says that. I know that Paul said that those bad things that happen to me, those bad things that come into my life, develop my spiritual life. They make me stronger. They, they create perseverance and strength in me that I, that I wouldn't have apart from those bad things, those trials and, and trouble that come. I know that he says that. And what did we sing this morning? The way of the great defender is so much better, right? Didn't we all just sing that? Great defender, so much better your way. I don't really have to know how he does it. That's okay with me if I never figure that out. I just know it's better. And it's proven to be better. Because he is the good shepherd and that's what he'll talk about next week. And we'll look at it closely next week. But what he's saying this week is that he is the door. There's no other door to eternity other than Jesus. Eternity isn't a game show. It's not let's make a deal where there are multiple doors and multiple boxes. And you have to try to guess which one might have the better thing behind it. And you're just hoping that if you pick that door, you're going to get the car. There's just one door. And Jesus says, I am the door. I am the only way.